So Matthew 23, verse 15 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. And we'll pray. Again, Lord God, we just want to commit our time to you. Lord, we want to be true to your word and the things that I say this morning, Lord, that um, the things that I, that I say would be right, um, that they would be of, of help this morning, that we would, that this time would be glorifying to you, that it would be beneficial. And Lord, just, I just ask that you would guide my, my, my tongue, my thoughts this morning, that I would just have the words that need to be said this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to read that verse as our, our starting off point. Um, again, this is, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And that's like a convert. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What a, <laughs> what a statement, right? But I just, we're going to start off, I'm going to go back to Second um, Kings and read a, a story there. Second Kings chapter 5. bought this Bible, I went through um, chapters in Thunder Bay to, to order it, and when it came in, I went in to pick it up, and I got to go deal with this guy, and he asked me something about the Bible, like what was so special about it, and I'm like, well, I got a wide margin one, well, why'd you get that? Well, so I can take notes. He's like, you wouldn't write in the Bible? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not correcting it, I'm just, <laughs> these are notes for me. <laughs> I just I really appreciated that ins that thought that you ought not to do something to this because it is sacred, right? And like he had that at least that understanding of the importance of God's word, and I, I just say that because I did that, but most of my pages are completely blank because I'm not a real big note taker in my Bible. But as I was looking at this passage yesterday, I made a whole bunch of notes. You know, <laughs> bunch of things really stood out to me. I was like, ah, that's, these are noteworthy things that I ought to, to, to make note of. But I know, So 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm going to read, um, start at the beginning and down through verse 19. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by com companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of, it, of, the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, 
and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant unto thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now come unto me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, and stand, and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth, behold, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardoned thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Now, if you followed the story, we start off with a description of who Naaman is. He is not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. He is a Syrian. And it starts off with the description that says, the Lord, by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. God was working 
through a man who had no idea who God was, a man who served idols, and God was working through him to prosper a nation that was against God's people. And we know that because in the very next sentence, he says, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. He's taken captives from Israel. But the description of it is that God prospered his hand for that purpose. Do you ever think about what God uses to get your attention? God is using a lost man who doesn't even know who God is, doesn't know that God is using him and that it is God that's giving him the victory as he goes out to battle against God's people. When God uses circumstances in our lives and sends somebody in our life, some lost person, and God is on their side, it seems, <laughs> and there's nothing I can do to fight whatever this circumstance is, it's just a losing battle. And it's like, how is it that this lost, wicked sinner is seeming to have no problems in life and God's like clearing the path and making everything work out for them and it's destroying me. God wants your attention. And maybe he wants their attention. And maybe he's going to use you to reach them. And that's exactly what happened here. This little girl has been taken captive. She's a slave. She's been ripped away from her. How old is she? We don't know. Says a young girl. I'm picturing a young girl. Because an older girl wouldn't be just a servant to, the, to his wife, right? And so this is a young girl. And she's taken away as a slave. But what God does with that is incredible, isn't it? And this guy, he's got leprosy. And the little girl. How many of us, when things happen in our lives, we just get angry? <laughs> we get mad at God? And instead of... How many of us would, in this circumstance, I'm a captive, I'm being a slave, I've been ripped away from my home, my family, I'm being... And I'm going to tell my captor about my God. And if, if, if you were only back at my home church, man, we would pray for you and God would... <laughs> are you, are you, do you have that attitude when things are not going your way? Is that how you're pointing people to Christ? Is in your worst circumstance to point them? And they're... They're over, over you. They're ruling over you. These are the people that are causing problems in your life. And you're, you're there to point, like, if only you knew my God. Man, this problem in your life, man, you could deal with that. God would take care of This is what this little girl is doing. This is how we're supposed to be, right? This is what we're supposed to do as a Christian. This is what God's people we're supposed to do. I'm just going to quickly just turn, hold your spot there if you would. Um, back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 
Exodus 12, verse 48. It says, And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Well, what does that have to do with this? Well, this is just some instruction as to when we're talking about the proselytes, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those scribes, were going out and trying to convert people to Judaism. Here's a, this is what they're to do when they're doing that. And we'll go to one more passage, Deuteronomy chapter 4. I find this is a Interesting the way it says this. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 5. says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. So this is just an instruction when you're going in to possess the land. He says, Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them, thy sons and thy sons' sons. This passage is telling God's people that if you live the way I tell you to live and I prosper you the way I promised that I would if you do that, all the nations will look and see and they'll know that I am God and that there is no other God. Right? This is, this is how God told Israel to be a witness. And it wasn't through sending out missionaries preaching and trying to, to drag people back, kicking and screaming and convert them. It was just, live the way I told you to live and people will be converted. People will see that I am God and they're going to want to be a part of that. And they will come. And then that passage in Exodus says how to sort of, how to incorporate them into that body. You don't see... There are, there are times when God, you know, you get Jonah as an example. There are times where God tells an individual to go and preach to some Gentile group. But as a whole, part of the law, God doesn't instruct Israel to go out on missionary journeys and trying to convert people. That's a, it's different than what he's given for us, right? But this, you can see, it was effective. <laughs> I, we've been part of, we got involved in groups that were doing what they called mission work, and then 
as things progressed, in the end, they started telling us they don't want us to talk about Jesus. They don't want us to quote scripture and try to teach people about the gospel. We were just to live it and they'll know through how we live. And that really bothered us and that was like the end of our involvement with that ministry. <laughs> because it's not a ministry anymore, right? We, we must use our mouth to preach. We have to give the word. We have to give the actual gospel. If, if it's just about how we live, I live a good life, I'm nice to people, well, that's kind of what Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, right? Is that you're making them a two-fold child of hell than yourselves. If you think that Christianity is about just being nice to your neighbor and doing nice things and being a nice person, you've missed the whole thing, <laughs> right? If that's what it's all about is social justice kind of stuff, you've missed it. And everybody that you guide down that path is you're guiding them to hell with you. The gospel is critical. We have to preach with words <laughs> who Christ is, what our sin has done, that our sin condemns us to hell, that without Christ and his sacrifice on that cross, we're doomed, we're done. It's only through that cross. And if we don't say that to people, we're, we're condemning them to hell just by our lack of words. So there's a, there's a little difference in the way we're instructed between Israel and the church. But you can see they weren't just, they weren't just to keep quiet. When they're in a circumstance, and this little girl is in a circumstance she has an opportunity. It's not a nice opportunity, is it? This is a miserable opportunity, but it's an opportunity, and she speaks out about her God and how wonderful her God is and how powerful her God is. And she points and says, you could know that power too. You can know who that God is. She says it when she has that opportunity. She's living that life, and she's opening her mouth and pointing those people to that God. And Naaman, this is a great story, if you're back in 2 Kings 5 here. I love how it's, it's his superiors that get given this message that this little girl said this. This isn't Naaman doing this at all. It was his superiors. His king is the one that wrote the letter, and he sent Naaman with the letter and some other people to deliver this message. But he sends it to the king. Doesn't that make sense? The leader of the land, the leader of these people that we're being pointed towards ought to, I don't know, have some kind of connection to that God that we're speaking of. And you see his response? It's like, am I God? I can't do this. Why? Like, you're just trying to pick a fight? Like, you're just re looking for a reason to condemn me? Because I can't do anything. And he's right. He can't do anything. But he obviously had no faith in who his God was. He didn't have that relationship with God that he ought to have had, did he? And he's the leader of God's people. His job, his job description isn't to, to rule over. 
it was to guide them in the ways of the Lord. And he's failing there. But fortunately, God provides a man, a prophet, Elisha. And Elisha hears what's going on. And he sends a messenger. And then they send Naaman to him. And the best part of this whole thing is Elisha doesn't even get off his couch. He's, I don't know what he's doing. He's sitting watching TV. And, <laughs> right? He's just, he's inside his house. He's busy. And he sends his servant out to meet Naaman at the door. And he sends him with a message. And he just go and wash in the river seven times. And Naaman is an important man. And he expects wouldn't he at least come out and greet me? <laughs> and he thought, and he describes, at least like he, he should come out and he like he put his hand over the spot and he'd pray and call on his God and he's expecting a show. Like, go to Benny Hinn. Like, he's been watching too many <laughs> of the Miracle Channel here and seeing this display and that's what he's expecting and that's not how God's working in this circumstance. He just sends a messenger, go do this. And it's simple. It's, it's something that, it's just, if you would only believe, right? The gospel is such a simple thing, and people want to do, add something to the gospel. They, I must have to do something. I must have to change my life before I could possibly be saved. You can't make yourself good enough for God, guys. We just can't. That's the whole point of the gospel, is that we can't, and that he did. He's done it for us, despite us not being able to. And this is it's the simplicity of that gospel. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And this is, that simplicity is, go and wash, and you'll be clean. And he's mad over this thing. And his servants... It's like, if he had told you to do some amazing, great, wonderful, weird, something weird, <laughs> something fantastic, you'd have done anything, right? Like, you name it, you would have tried your best to do the hardest, most difficult, some great journey, some whatever the thing was, you would have gone and done it. How simple is it just to go and wash? And so they convince him, and he goes down, to the Jordan. Do you ever try to picture the, this guy? What, like he's already had this reaction and it's fine, I'll go and wash in the river. And I'm curious, does he walk down in, dip himself in, walk back out of the river, up onto the bank, and then back in? Or does he just stand there and dunk the arm, right? I don't know, one of those two, but I can just picture him, one. Two, <laughs> when you get to six, I'm betting he's getting discouraged, right? And what is he thinking on that seventh time? Is he, does he really expect it to come out whole that seventh time? I can't imagine that he's thinking this is going to work. But he's just willing to, I'll just do it. And it works. God healed him. But look at the... He must have believed. Must have believed. Like he had to have believed. He had to have had a change of heart somewhere in that process, right? And God heals him. 
This is like a, a picture of our salvation, isn't it? And you look at his response. He just wants, he wants to give a gift. And Elisha's like, no, <laughs> I didn't do this. I'm not the one that gets the gift. And Naaman, he understands. And you see the understanding. And in verse 17, halfway through the verse, he says, Thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. I'm done with serving idols. This is the real God, and I'm going to serve him only. But he knows he's got to go back home, and he is subject to his masters as well. He's a servant in, in that sense. And he has responsibilities there, and he says, when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself, he knows he has to go back and go through the motions of doing this stuff. But he says, he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. He says, I'm not doing this to, to worship that false idol. I'm just doing this because that's my responsibility in my job. I have to do this thing. But God forgive me for even being involved. And like, you see a heart has been changed. <laughs> like he understands that he should have no part in this idolatry and in this worldly system any further. And he wants out of that. What a change. What a wonderful... <laughs> story of his conversion, right? But this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> they pointed him to the, he got pointed to the true God, and he saw the true God. And he believed it. And this was what Israel was supposed to be doing. But Jesus is dealing with this scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites, and they compass sea and land. They're scouring the landscape, trying to convince people to come and join. And he says, you make them twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You're giving a false gospel. You're not pointing them to the true God. You're, you're pointing them to a religion, a system, not a relationship with the true God. And there's a problem there. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, after his resurrection, we get what we call, and I'm going to ask, how many of you know what have heard the term Great Commission? Put your hand up. <coughs> how many of you know what the Great Commission is? <laughs> okay. Well, I, as I... I don't know why I was looking at this, but I came across a poll, a Barna poll that was done in 2018. It says that 51% of churchgoers were not familiar with this term. 51% of churchgoers are not familiar with the term Great Commission. So that means 49% were at least familiar. But of those, so 6% weren't sure, but they thought it sounded familiar. So we're up to 57%. <laughs> 25% were familiar with the term, but didn't know the context. 
They didn't know what it was referring to. Which leaves 17% knew the term and what it meant. That's the condition of the church today, in North America at least. They didn't know what the Great Commission was. And I, Matthew 28 is typically the, the verse that's used for the Great Commission. I'm going to go to Mark 16 just because it's essentially the same thing, same time. Mark 16 and verse 15. <clears throat> I'll, just, I'll start in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So he's, he's upset that they didn't believe that he had his, has re resurrected. Verse 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's our great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go home, preach to your dogs and your cats, guys. <laughs> Practice there and then go out and talk to people. <laughs> Get it down pat, right? Um, we are commanded to go out and preach to everybody that you can possibly preach to. That's what God wants his people to do is to go out and preach. And that's the, what we call the Great Commission. That's God passing that responsibility onto us to go and preach and spread the message of who he is as the Son of God and of his death and burial resurrection as the payment for our sins. That's what our job as Christians are. If you're just coming to church and you think that is your responsibility as a Christian, once again, you've missed the whole point. We come to church for a time of fellowship and just to to reinvigorate ourselves, to build ourselves back up, to encourage one another, maybe to study the word a little bit like this, that we get that energy to go back out and do what the scripture tells us to do and go and win some souls for, for God, right? That's the point of church, not just to come and fulfill my duty. This isn't my duty is to come to church. My duty is to go and serve the Lord in my life from day to day. This is just to encourage us again. <laughs> this isn't the duty part. <laughs> this is the encouragement part. This is the rebuilding, the fueling station. If you, if you want to turn to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians chapter 1, and start in verse 6, and read to the end of the chapter here. It says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not 
speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He's talking to this church. This is his, still his introduction of this letter. And he says, I've been going around on my missionary journeys, and I'm trying to preach the gospel, and everywhere I go that's anywhere near you, they already know it. <laughs> I don't get to preach to anybody because they're already telling me about the gospel because you guys did what you were supposed to do. You guys went out and preached to everybody around you and let them know of who Christ is. And that's what he's saying. It's like, everywhere I go, I'm hearing about this church has already been here telling us about that. <laughs> what a great testimony. I hope that that will be the testimony of this church. That when I start going out door to door trying to tell people about the gospel and trying to invite people to come to church, I hope that their answer to me was, yeah, someone's already been here. <laughs> someone's already been talking. Jacob was here, and he won't shut up about what... <laughs> right? That should be what is coming out of people's mouths, is that you guys won't stop talking about what God is doing in your life and how they need what you have. They should already know that message by the time the next person gets there, right? That's, that's what's happening in 1 Thessalonians. If you want to turn a little further back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of the reason of the hope that is in you. Are you ready? Do you have an answer ready when somebody asks you why you're not scared of dying? Why you can have this joy and I can see that you're not worried about life and you know you look at people like you've lost your job and you're like, you can list all the things and if people know your life at all and you have all these terrible things going on in your life and yet you're just happy. <laughs> you have a joy and you're overflowing and you're not worried. I've given that stuff to God. And they look at like, how is that possible? Do you have an answer? I hope, first of all, that that will be your testimony is that they can look at you and ask. I hope they can see that there is something to ask you. And that's that instruction that God gave Israel back in Deuteronomy is, if you're living the life that I've told you to live, people will know it, and they're going to want to know what that's about. So if you're living 
life that God is asking us to live. If we're living with his spirit guiding us day to day, people will see there is something different and they're going to want to know what that is. But when they ask you, are you going to have an answer? Now, I, I heard this preached many years ago of a guy going out and witnessing and he says, someone would come up to me with some argument against Christianity or some question, and I wouldn't be able to answer that question. But he would go home and he would study until he had an answer to that question so that that would never stump him again. Stump me once, shame on you. Stump me twice, shame on me. <laughs> right? It's like, if you have been asked a question and you've not had an answer to give to somebody, okay, that happens. We haven't thought through every argument. We haven't heard every argument that people have against Christianity and the gospel. But boy, if, if that happens a second time with the same question and you walk away stumped again, shame on you, right? You ought to have an answer for that the next time. Because you now know that there's a question that needs to be answered and you should be going and finding the answer to that question. And that's what Peter is saying is be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you. We had kids at Bible camp that would ask questions and there's like some tough stuff that kids come up with. And I didn't always have an answer the first time that question was asked, but, but man, I, would, I did my best to make sure I could answer those at least in some way if it came up again, because you guarantee that's going to come up again at some point. And so you become an apologist <laughs> through these experiences. When somebody starts to question something and you don't know how to deal with that, well, guess what? You got some homework. Your job is to go and figure out how to have a response to that objection that people have. I'm going to finish... I do need to finish somehow. Let's go to, I think, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And he goes on with an explanation. He was just like, here's the example, and he deals with that example. But seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what? There's people in the name of Christianity preaching complete lies and false gospels 
where there is no gospel, where there is no sacrifice of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross as the only payment for our sin. The blood of Christ on that cross is essential to salvation. And there's people preaching and claiming to be Christian that omit that entire message from everything they ever preach. They don't preach about our sin and the need for forgiveness. And there's many other things that get thrown in that are just distractions from the truth and that draw our attention away from what the whole point of our faith is supposed to be. And he calls them doctrines of devils, giving heed to seducing spirits. And those people that are doing that, it says they have their conscience seared. It's like they don't even feel bad about it. And maybe they don't even, maybe they think that they're doing what's right. They're, they think they're leading people down the right path because their conscience is gone. It doesn't exist. And so they're just sincerely leading people to hell. Just as Jesus is pointing that the scribes and Pharisees are doing that in the way that they're preaching, the stuff that they're preaching, their, their focus is on the wrong aspect. There's truth in there. There's truth in every false doctrine that's taught. But if it's not the right gospel message, that little bits of truth that's in there will still draw people down a road that's leading to hell and it prevents people from salvation because it's a distraction from the true gospel. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful of the message that is in some of the preaching that is out there. And unfortunately, it seems like the most, the most popular, the easiest to find preaching that's available is this, right? Those are, it's easy to swallow, those messages. It's hard to swallow that your sin will condemn you to hell, right? That, that's a message that we don't like to hear. And so the, the popular stuff doesn't contain that message. Be careful what we listen to. And be careful. Be careful that you only preach, believe on Jesus' sacrifice. Don't tell people they have to do this or that or any other thing, that you have to give up this, you have to change this part of your life. None of that has anything to do with their salvation. Those things will change when Christ enters their life. They don't change beforehand, and it has nothing to do with their salvation. The salvation is, do you believe that your sin will send you to hell, and do you believe that Christ was the Son of God and that his death on that cross was a sufficient payment for your sin? That's what we need. That's the message that we need to send. And if it's anything other than that, then you're sending that person to hell because anything other than that message leads down that path. You need that message and that one alone. So be careful what you listen to and what you teach people and how, where our focus comes from. We, those things are important. The way we live is important. <laughs> and there's a lot of teaching in scripture about the way we live but that's not the source of our salvation. We need to be very clear on that. Let's pray. Lord, when Jesus is talking with these people, it sounds harsh. And he, to their face, 
says that they are making their converts that they're creating twofold child of hell than themselves. As in, you're going to hell. You're telling people that they're going to hell if they don't believe the message that Jesus is preaching. And for us, that's the message of Jesus on that cross. Lord, we need to be willing to offend people and their ideas in order to give them the truth, to give them any hope at all, Lord. And so help us to be willing to cause that offense in the hope that people's hearts will change. So, Lord, we just ask that you would give us that confidence and that clarity in our thought and in what the gospel message is, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.